to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today's guest is John Tesh. Unlike some people who are known for being the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, John is a master of a whole bunch of different things. He's a musician, radio host, TV show host, and author. His impressive resume includes job titles like news anchor and host for the Olympics, as well as host of Entertainment Tonight and the creator of the NBA theme song. He's won six Emmys, been nominated for two Grammys, has four gold albums, and an Associated Press Award for his investigative journalism. He's written several books, including his most recent one, which is called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. In his book, he describes how he overcame a lot of obstacles in life, including being suspended from college, being homeless, and facing a really grim health prognosis. Some of the things John and I discuss are how to feel a sense of accomplishment, how to do things that seem impossible at first, how to use superheroes to motivate yourself, and much, much more. Make sure to stick around until the end for the therapist's take. This is the part of the show where I'll give you my take on the strategies that help John stay mentally strong, and I'll discuss how you might apply them to your own life. So here's John Tesh. He's mentally strong. This is his story. John Tesh, welcome to the Mentally Strong People podcast. I think you may have the wrong person. I heard you just say mentally strong. So uh, <laughs> I think I just heard I object from my wife in the kitchen around here somewhere. <laughs> we absolutely have the right person. In fact, so we were sitting around talking about the possibility of trying to get you on the podcast. And the conversation went something like this, like, oh, John Tesh, the radio host. To which someone else said, oh, you mean the musician, John Tesh? To which somebody else said, no, he was the host of Entertainment Tonight. And somebody else said, I think he plays the piano. It took us a few minutes to realize we were all talking about the same human being. That's very funny. <laughs> but it wasn't until I read your book that I realized you weren't just this multi-talented guy with this awesome career, but you also had all of these obstacles that were in your way. It's called Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith. And upon reading it, I realized all of these struggles you went through. From the outside, it would be easy to say, well, clearly he was just born with all of these gifts and ended up at the top of his game in multiple uh, different facets of his career. But then once you read your book, you realize this is somebody who had to overcome a lot to get to where he is today. And most of it was because I, I was self-inflicted wounds, to be, on, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, I didn't want to write this book and, and it was, uh, I, it, I started it almost three years ago. It was supposed to be done in six months. Our Harper Collins came to me and they, they heard a, the, the unique way I got healed from cancer, which we can talk about. But, um, I, I just didn't think there was much, to, you know, I, I'm not a journaler and, and I, we, and even on the radio show, we talk about it all the time saying how, how important it is, but it's just not something that I've, I've done. So this was two and a half years of journaling while I was going through a, a cancer battle and, and, and connecting the dots, which I do highly recommend looking back at my life. I was like, how did that happen? Or, and I had to call up people and say, is this, because you know, a lot of times you rewrite your own history just to sort of your brain does to protect yourself. And, um, 
I remembered that I was homeless, but I never talked about it in an, in an interview because I was so embarrassed, you know, when I got thrown out of school. So uh, when I was finished with the book, finally, and my wife, actually, Connie, who's a, who's a, a brilliant writer in her own right uh, and broadcaster, she helped me edit it along with the guys at HarperCollins. Uh, I realized that this book, there might be something in here that could give people hope because if I could get out of all that mess, <laughs> then maybe you could too. Oh, that's fascinating to learn that you never really thought about all of the obstacles that you overcame until you sat down to write it. And I love the way that you wrote the book because you made it clear, even in your introduction of, hey, I'm going to talk about the moments that sort of affected my life that really influenced me the most. And then every chapter, the way that it's divided up and you tell stories based on, here was a pivotal moment in my life. Right. And, and first of all, thank you. I'm honored that you would even even read one chapter of, uh, of the book. And sorry, that's the gardener. So uh, he'll, I'm sure somebody will pick up. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think the reason that, that I accomplished any of these things is that I had what, uh, what writer Brene Brown calls the gift of, of imperfection. Uh, I, I grew up a very, I, I'm 6'6 six, six now and I, I weigh like 225 pounds, uh, which, which is, it works on me in, in most areas of my body. But when I was in junior high, I was this height, I was 6'6 six, six, and I was 155 pounds. And so I was not going to I was not going to win the prom king award and on on Sadie Hawkins if anybody remembers what that is I was very available Sadie Hawkins for people who don't know is when the girl asked the guy out to the to to the dance so um I just wasn't uh I just wasn't popular at all and so I took you know weight on and milkshakes and all that I know I just couldn't I couldn't get on the football team because I couldn't get insurance you know uh, so I played the smaller sports. I played like, you know, soccer and I was on the, on the track team and, you know, in lacrosse and stuff like that. And, and, and what ended up being always you know, injured, but I guess my subconscious was like, well, the way to get out and sort of get noticed is to, is to somehow do it in sports. And that it worked all right, but not really, because nobody in my high school was really into the, the soccer team uh, at the time. Uh, but music was a big part. And so my, my mom had, had uh it, she was very much into uh, she wanted me to be a, a concert pianist and she wa- and so i don't know why so at 6 years old she i was basically lashed to a piano an upright piano for for 2 hours a day and also i played trumpet in, in the marching band you know and and you know that there's a great story about in elementary school my you know my teacher who really shaped my life in the in the band but that was my everybody needs every every kid needs a superpower well you know whatever it is it is and so at whatever level that was my superpower or at least any sort of direction or purpose at all was being a, a musician and at the same time my parents were just exhausted because they had i had two sisters you know 10 11 years older than me so i just like a troll i lived in the basement you know i had a basement with like a reel-to-reel tape recorder and a and a radio station kit and mr microphone and and a, and a, and a, and a little little organ and keyboard you know so i was always creating stuff and uh and and when i ended up getting into high school, it really served me well because while everybody else was so busy being popular, I had actually learned how to do some stuff. And so it really, it really helped me. Oh, I think that would make life better for so many people if they, as a kid, instead of worrying about being popular, if they worried, if they focused on building a superpower and thinking, how do I differentiate myself rather than blend in with everyone? Life could probably be quite different. You know, one of the tips that we've given on the radio show from a social psychologist who we're always interviewing is, is even as an adult, if you want to be encouraged, is is whether it's Wonder Woman or Superman, is put uh, is put a poster 
of that uh, of that superhero on your on your wall. And 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 as a kid, I didn't you know we didn't have cable or I was born in 1952, so we barely we just got when I was like six or seven we got a color color TV. Uh, and so I, I, comic books was it for me, you know, so Thor and Superman and, you know, all, all of that stuff. And I still have all of those comics every now and then I'll go back, you know, and, and so the superheroes are, you know, are, 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 cause most of them are underdogs, right? A lot of them, cause they have, they have some, some sort of a, you know, horrible idiosyncrasy that they're trying to fight, whether it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a problem with, with, uh, with kryptonite or, or they fly into walls, like the greatest American hero, you know, people, people like that. So that, that was a big part of my life, you know, growing up. And the other big thing is, you know, when I was describing my parents to uh, my dad, especially to the, to the publisher, and in the, in the first draft of the book, you know, they were writing the headlines that the publishers will write when they're trying to sell the book, you know, to all the all the stores uh, and Amazon. And it was like, you know, overcame, you know, an abusive family life. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, that's not the that's not the image that I wanted to portray. But I had a tough father. I mean, he my my dad, John Sr., he was a, a World War II hero. Uh, he worked. He was uh, the chief petty officer and his job was to spot the incoming aircraft, kamikaze pilots and, and Japanese zeros that were trying to kill him and everybody in the fleet off the coast of, of Okinawa in World War II in an amphibious assault craft. And so when he got back home and then later when I was born, you know, his life was a lot of cigarettes and a highball of, uh, of, of scotch. And, and so, you know, parenting wasn't something that he hadn't been to school to know how to parent. So he was, he treated me like a, you know, like I was in uh, in boot camp or something, you know, if you've ever seen the great Santini with Bob Duvall, it was like that. And so I, it didn't matter what trophy I brought him, whether it was a B plus, which were few and far between in my life or, or a trophy for most improved in soccer or a song that I had written. It's like, that's great. You know, where's the, where, where are the Ken cigarettes, you know? And so some people could see that as, as abuse, but for me, it, it really, it really tougher, toughened me up because we didn't get any trophies for participation. You had, to, you had to fight for that trophy. So what drove you? What's driven you to succeed in all these different areas in life? I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a deep worry that somebody's going to come take it away. And uh, I, I mean, if you look at, and I hadn't, but if you go back, you know, since I, read, I wrote a book, but if you look, look at, at my, the trajectory of my career, stuff happened that really shouldn't have happened. And, and, and meaning, you know, I got thrown out of school when I was uh, 19 years old out of college, North Carolina State, because I tried to change my major without, without uh, consulting everybody. So I, I actually signed a professor's name to a drop ad card under advice from somebody in my fraternity house. And whenever I tell that story, when we're on, when we're on stage, um, it's, uh, you, you, you can hear that, that audible gasp, you know, just, <laughs> you know, and, and so, uh, I ended up, you know, the school threw me out uh, as, a, as a junior, rising senior, and then my parents threw me out of the house because I had violated, you know, their laws and, and their, their, their honor system. And so there I was alone, you know, in a, in, in a, uh, uh, in a tent, basically, uh, in, in a park in, in North Carolina. And so uh, the, my, the only way out was to somehow find a way to create a demo tape because I was into radio uh, uh, for a radio station. And... You know, when I look back on it, 36 months after that silly demo tape that I, I, I created by going, you know, the helicopter traffic report and holding my nose. And going, this is Maurice Kindy in Cairo today. Back to you in the studio, John Tesh. I'm like, this is John Tesh. You know, it was, it was a crazy little demo tape. And I got the attention of a, of a, of a, of a, um, a, a, a news director. 
And 36 months after I was in that tent, I was anchoring the news as the youngest correspondent at CBS News in New York City at 23 years old. And, and that just, to me, seemed like it was like, I don't know, eight or nine years that it took. And when I look back, it was like, wait, it was all, almost three years. Um, but it was that whole thing of, and I, and I really do recommend, it was that whole thing of being found ready. You know what I mean? It was, I, I had just been, I'd been, I was rehearsing in the tent. I was, I was figuring out how to rise, r- write news copy. I, I, I volunteered to do, you know, all kinds of internship stuff. Um, and, and so by, by the time I had an opportunity, I was found ready. And that's really the speech that I give a lot of times when I'm talking to kids that are in, in college or high school. Because that could have been a pivotal moment for you if you think, all right, I messed up. I'm now homeless. I, can't go to college. I made this huge mistake. You, your life could have gone a really different direction. What made you keep trying, even though you were in this really bad place? Um, I, I just nobody was coming. I knew that nobody was coming to get me. You, you know, it was. So I had two choices. I could either become a uh, become a drunk, or I could sort of dig dig myself out and and figure out a way to get out of that, get out of that tent. And since I didn't have enough money to get drunk, <laughs> seriously, seriously, I, I pumped gas and I worked construction. And then I, you know, by the light of a lantern at night, I, I practiced, I read the newspaper and tried to memorize it. And, 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 and I wanted to become a, a broadcaster. Um, you know, my dad had sent me to college to follow in his footsteps. He was the vice president of, of Haynes, um, underwear. And, and so he sent me to textile chemistry school. Uh, but I wanted to be some sort of an entertainer or, or, or get into the media. And, and, uh, I realized that that was going to, my only way was to somehow get a job on a radio station. So what's your advice for somebody who feels like they're at the bottom of the barrel right now? Maybe they messed up and they think that there's no way out. What advice would you give to that person? I mean, you really have to, visualization was a, was a big part uh, of, of what I did. And, and I, I didn't even think about that until I looked back on it. And, and I, I, I do recommend that, I mean, you don't have to have it published, but if you start, if you look back and start writing the, you know, the, the book of your life, you know, your book of life, uh, you'll, you'll start to see patterns of, of when you did this, then the result was that. And, and whether it was, uh, you know, a, a, a giant show, that we self-funded called Live at Red Rocks, which is also in the in, in the book where I couldn't get a, a record deal. It was beating beating a, a, a cancer diagnosis that only gave me eighteen months to live, or it was it was getting out of that tent, or or uh, or eventually getting uh, the, the most beautiful woman in the world, Connie Selica, to actually say yes to me. It was all I realized that I had visualized those things, and I'm, I don't. I, this is not a new age thing because. There is a uh, there is a scripture in the in the book of Romans that says you know call forth those things that be not as though they they were and so I I realized when I looked back that I was actually able to see uh, myself sitting in for example sitting in the anchor chair at WCBS in you know in in New York uh, next to uh, Jim Jensen who was the big anchor guy there and then Walter Cronkite was on the was on there I could see that and then I would just I, I would pray about it every night and, and I would make a plan. I didn't have anything to write on, but I would make a plan as to what the, what my steps would, would be. And I just stay, just stay really focused on it. But, but you have to be able to see it before you can, you can have it. And I'm not talking about, about, you know, invoking the, uh, you know, the, the quantum field, whatever, and, you know, the law of attraction. Uh, but, but, but for me, staying in, staying in this, in the scriptures, in the Bible, and then also, 
understanding that I had to be able and 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 I just sorry for this long round sentence, but later when I was covering uh, sports, big sports for for CBS Sports, which is another crazy story. Um, I was interviewing people like, uh, you know, downhill Olympic champion, world champion, Franz Klammer, the downhill skier, or, or, or working with, you know, Eric Hyden, uh, you know, the great, uh, cyclists and, and uh, figure skater and cyclist, and also Scott Hamilton, you know, and, and a lot of like Jimmy Connors, all these people, I mean, working as a, as an announcer with them and also looking at them, watching them com- compete, they all, they, they all had the most amazing minds where, even I'll never forget, and this is in the book, that before uh, uh, an Olympic downhill, uh, I'm in the I'm outside the starting house, you know, watching these guys get ready to go 70 miles an hour straight down on the Honeycomb in in, uh, in Austria, a legendary ski course. Is I'm watching uh, Franz Klammer, and he's not he's not like going crazy, you know, jumping around and stuff, but he's he's got his eyes closed and he's going he's he's moving his hands through each one of the gates you know, like this and seeing the whole course. And he did that for about an hour. And I'm thinking, who does that? You know, but that's what they do. And, and even uh, uh, Michael Phelps, you know, the great swimmer, legendary swimmer, his coach would always yell at him, you know, even when he was competing, put in the movie, put in the movie. And that meant put in the movie that you had made in your, in your, in your, in your mind, in your brain, in your subconscious of, of what you were going to do at each part of the, of the race. And I realized that I had done that instinctively throughout my life and, and still do it today. I love that you said that. And I love that you differentiate between visualization of just, I'm going to have this great life versus putting in the plan. Clearly from your book, you're a man of action. I'm a therapist. And a lot of people think that they'll come into my office and say, I'd like a Ferrari someday. They put it on their vision board and they think that somehow the universe is going to gift them with a Ferrari at some random moment. And they don't, rather than thinking, how do I get the Ferrari by going to work, working hard, saving up money, making changes in my life. And so I'm not surprised to hear that these elite athletes say that they visualize uh, not just the reward at the end, but they visualize themselves going through the process. So when you say you could visualize yourself as a news anchor, but then you thought, what's the plan? What are the steps to get there? That's the seems to be the big difference between people who succeed and people Mm -hmm. who end up using a vision board and it actually backfires. There's tons of research that shows if you put something on your vision board and then you sit back and relax, your brain reacts as if you got it and you put in less energy really than if you really think about what are the steps to get there. So I'm yeah. so yeah. happy that you said that it worked for well, you. Your, your advice and, and, and the training that got you there, you know, it's, that's the kind of stuff that we have on the radio show all the time. And, but I mean, I'll put a question to you. Um, well, first of all, I think one of the reasons for any sort of accomplishment back in my day is that I just didn't have any distractions. I mean, there was just nothing to be distracted by what, you know, what is it, a, you know, a, a, a tree, you know, I mean, outside my tent. And, and so uh, are, have you seen the, the, um, the difference in what's it's in what's depressing? I mean, of course, in the middle of COVID, but what's depressing people these days, as opposed to what it was like back in my day? Absolutely. That people these days who are just spending their spare moments scrolling through social media and looking at at their phones all day long and have no idea how much time they're actually doing it and don't really take in the fact of how it's affecting their brain instead of uh, surrounding themselves with people, with music, with information that's good for them. They're surrounded by, you know, these social media influencers and news stories that are all doom and gloom. And suddenly that becomes their whole world. I have been guilty of that very thing, even just lately of, of, of doom scrolling. 
you know, being a growing up as a journalist and 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 working in, in an environment, um, and not to get political, but working in an environment in in in, in at CBS where we had a thing called programs and practices where you could you could only say certain things on the air you had to refer to the, the president of the united states uh, or any you know any leader a, a certain way there there was a list of the way you had to, had to do that and there you could not have a comment that's the most interesting thing about it is that is you had to you had to give the news and you had to have the facts right and you had to you had to see both sides and you had to have the facts and uh and if there was a commentary, then it was a different person that would do that, and they would super commentary, you know, uh, on underneath it. And so uh, I, I've I've gotten caught up in this whole thing that's 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 happening, where um, I'm looking at what's going on in the news, and I'm looking at what's going on on, on uh, you know with the with the tech people and all the rest of that stuff, and I'm saying, wait, where is where where is this that structure? Where is that you know where where is that boilerplate that that that, that I that I remember? And so I realized that I had to. I talked to a friend of mine, Dr. David Katz, who's at who's at Yale, and I said I'm going crazy. And he says you need to look away. He said you you really need to look away. And 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 I said what are you talking about? He goes you just you just find something else. And listen, I'm I'm 68 years old. I should know that by now, but you still get caught up, right? So how do you set limits on on that so that you don't end up getting drowning in all of the the doomsday scrolling? You know, it's the stupidest thing. Uh, but you know, we we all have these um, these computers that are in our hands that look like that look like phones. And I, you know, I've read all a lot of these books, right? I've read I've read Grit. I've read The Power of Habit. I've read Deep Work. I've read you know Do the Work. You know all you know all the rest of that stuff. And so I read a lot of books. And I read a lot of memoirs before I wrote before I wrote mine. And I I, I love <clears throat> you know picking out somebody who you respect read their memoir, you know, and, and, and understand how they even, you know, it's even, um, uh, Winston Churchill, you know, as crazy as he was, you know, he was an, he was an incredible man. And, and, and in reading that memoir, I, I understood, you know, what, what you, you'll pick something out of, out of these people that are, that are great and you study greatness and figure it out. But what I realized is that, is that I can't do what they did and I can't, I can't set up, a, I, I'm just not the guy that's going to set up Here's my to-do list and do that. I've tried it and, and, and then the grandkids will come over or all of a sudden they'll, I'll be doing something else and I have to stop and, and help do something with the house or whatever it is. And, and then you're like, oh gosh, my to-do list is way back here. And I, so I make a, it sounds ridiculous, but I make a, a, a um, I did it list, right? And I also understand that because of, because of who I am, I, I, I get up really early. I mean, sometimes it's three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. I just can't can't sleep. And I, cause I, I just can't wait to, to attack the day. Part of it is that my days were numbered back in the, back in the day, you know, where it was like, you know, you don't have that much longer to live, John, you better figure it out. Uh, but I, I, I have to, I have, as far as exercise goes, I just do it all day. I think because I, I can't do the 45 minutes or, 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 or an hour 15. I, I just learned that about, about my body. So I realized that there, however many hours that, that I'm awake, I, I have a whole bunch of stuff that I want to do, right? And then when I get it done, I'll, I'll write down that I did it. And at the end of the day, if I haven't done anything, I realized that I haven't done anything. But but the to-do list for me, and I know it works for a lot of people, that just doesn't uh, doesn't work. And then what I do with the phone is is I have a boxing timer. You can have any kind of a timer. And I, I, I use a thing called the Pomodoro method, if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, yes. right? So for, for me, it's 23 minutes. I have, I have really bad ADD. 
Wikipedia will confirm that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, tw- so 23 minutes, and then I move to the next task, and I'm forced to go to the next task, right? And so that's, that's what works for me is those 23-minute 23, 23 bursts. I think that's really wise in today's world. Otherwise, we think I'm going to sit down and write this boring report that's going to take four hours and then we get distracted so much that we never get anything done. In the time that we have left, do you want to explain your cancer diagnosis and how the fact that you're still here? You said your days were numbered, but that was years ago and you're still you're still here. Well, you know, uh, this hasn't been something I've been talking about, but uh, yeah, uh, it was um, the cancer diagnosis was uh, and you'll this will be explained in a moment, but in, in 2015, uh, I just went for a, for a routine exam uh, with my GP, uh, and he, uh, he found out that I had a rare form, uh, this is the short version, but found out that I had a rare form of prostate cancer, and, and uh, it sort of snuck up on me. It wasn't making any blood markers or anything, and so he said, well, there, I think there's something, something weird going on here, you know, and uh, when he did a test on me. And something weird ended up being in about two weeks where you have 18 months to live after doing a biopsy because the cancer really spread into my, what, my engine room, into my, you know, into my gut. And so uh, we went around to you know, Johns Hopkins, MD Anderson, Northwestern, and two operations, bone biopsies, you know, just, just an amazing amount of, uh, amount of suffering. And, and things were going pretty well, uh, but it was still that thing of, I was told to get my affairs in order, you know, and 18 to 20 months is what they, is what they said because it was so, so aggressive. And then my wife and I uh, met a guy named Andrew Womack, who is a, who's a, a teacher, um, a pastor. And he, he, his whole ministry is about, about healing. And, and Connie and I, my wife, we landed on a scripture in, in, in the Bible, Mark eleven twenty three, which reads, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. And does not doubt, but believes in his heart that what he says will be so, will have whatever he says. And so we started, you know, again, visualization and started, you know, claiming my, and, 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 and not acting like a cancer patient because I, as soon as I got that diagnosis, I was making plans for insurance, who's going to take over for the, and I was acting, I was just, I'd given up, right? And so my, my, now my visualization, my finish line was, was a coffin. And so once I got on the other side of that and understand it, understood that God didn't, hadn't put this sickness on me, there wasn't any God, why did you do this to me? It was, you know, maybe the other guy. Is that God wanted me, wanted me well, then I, then I was able to, to, to fight. And then about, about three months ago, I, I ended up with an incredible amount of pain in my right leg. I could barely walk. And, uh. I was, uh, I, I just, I didn't want to, but I went in for a scan because I just couldn't sleep. And sure enough, I had these two big tumors, uh, one on my right leg, right in my pelvis and the other on my, um, on my left. And uh, we went to the doctor again and, and he just said, uh, we're going to have to attack this again. And they did with, uh, with, with chemo and androgen deprivation therapy and all the rest of that stuff that just wipes you out. And I had, so I was back in the fight again, you know. And as of two weeks, two weeks ago, uh, I'm clear again, you know, so I know. So it's, it's, I, 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 I believe with all of my heart that I was cured the, the, the first time, but then, you know, when it came back, I was like, I, I understood though. I didn't, I, I, there was not a moment where it was like, oh gosh, okay, I guess I'm done now. Um, when you understand suffering, and as a therapist, you 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 know M. Scott Peck who wrote The Road Less Traveled, and his yeah. first his first line is "Life is difficult," and also, um, 
uh, uh, Victor, Victor Frankl, who wrote the uh, man's search for meaning. He's a Holocaust survivor. And, and I think one of the big problems with, I hate to be the old guy that says, here's the problem with everybody today. But if you don't understand that suffering is part of the deal, right? It's part, it's, it's, it's part of what absolutely can happen to you. And you, and you, and you have to embrace it. If you don't embrace it, then when it comes some, for some people, it's an enormous amount of depression, as you know, during, during the you know, lockdown. But if you, if you don't understand that it's, that it's part of the journey, then you'll never be ready. And it's like, it's the same reason why they, they fire, you know, automatic weapons over, over, uh, military, uh, guys as they're crawling along the ground. You know, it's like, you have to understand that you have to be found ready and you have to be trained for, for, for fighting. I mean, don't expect suffering, but when it comes, you better be ready. Mm, Well, we're so glad that you're doing well. One last question for you then is for somebody that says, gosh, I, life keeps putting me down. I keep trying to get back up, but you know, at some point there's a, there's a line. I don't know if I could keep doing this. What's your advice to that person? Um, you got to do the work and it sounds ridiculous, but, but the the one thing that that works for me is, you know, I've had some hard times in like in the last six, three, four months because this treatment, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it takes all the testosterone out of your body, right? Because cancer loves, this type of cancer loves testosterone. So it's really hard to stay strong and, it, and you have sweats and, you know, all, you know all, all the rest of that stuff. And, and you know, I've, my wife will say something like, yeah, but look at this person, you know, they've got lung cancer or they've got throat cancer, you're, you're, you know, and you can't, I think it was Victor Frankl who said, who said suffering is like a gas. It will, it will fill the container in which it's, uh, in which it's in, injected. So your, your suffering is your suffering. Nobody can tell you, Hey, it could be worse or could yep. be better or, or the rest of that stuff. But, um, and this sounds sort of simplistic, but, but exercise Really is the only thing that 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 that, work, that, that, that just resets me. That that, uh, that that gets me going, and and I could be just brisk walking or or hundred push-ups a day or 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 whatever. And as a therapist, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to the choir here because you know that that you can only go so far with uh, with with drugs, and a lot of them work, right? But but just just being able to get out there and have that as Admiral McRaven uh, wrote in his book, Make Your Bed. He's the Navy SEAL trainer. You need to start your morning with a win, as simple as it, 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 as, as it might, might be. If you can start with a win, then the rest of the day will usually follow. Wise advice. John Tesh, I hope everybody goes out and reads your book, Relentless, Unleashing a Life of Purpose, Grit, and Faith, because you are just such a shining example of, of mental strength. And as many times as life it. has knocked you down, you have gotten back up. And I think a lot of people will, will learn these uh, lots of important lessons from your wisdom. So thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. And, and, and might I add that, uh, that it's been, uh, this was free of charge. Uh, this has been great therapy for me. So thank you for that. <laughs> Well, I think, I'll tell you. I think it was free of charge. I don't know if he's going to send me something. <laughs> it is. So, you know, I'll tell you a quick story before you go. I was showing my producer last night, two years ago, 2019. I got a text message from a, a therapist friend and he said, I was driving down the road. And guess what? John Tesh referenced your book on the radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and he was telling me all about it. I was like, that was amazing. So today I'm going to text him back and say, guess who I just talked to? <laughs> it's come full circle, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, Thank awesome. you so much. I wish you um, so well. And I'm just honored to be able to talk to you. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity.
And have a great Thank day. Thank you for hanging out with me today and listening Welcome to the, to the Therapist Take. This is the part of the episode Thank where you I'll for hanging my out take with me today on some of John's mental strength building podcast. strategies. And I'll talk about how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that John talked about. Number one, create an I did it list rather than a to-do list. John said he really enjoys creating a list of all the things that he's accomplished every day. This helps him see how productive he's been. And clearly, as someone who's been so successful in so many different areas of his life, it obviously works for him. So you might give this a try too, or you might try it in conjunction with your to-do list. If you've ever written something down on your to-do list just so you could cross it out, you know how good it feels to see that you've gotten things done. So start out with a to-do list in the morning and an I did it list at night. This might help you deal with that nagging feeling that you never get quite enough things done in the day. Seeing all the things that you've accomplished might help you feel more adequate. Number two, visualize yourself healthy. When John was diagnosed with cancer, he said he started to act like a sick cancer patient would, and he could feel his health declining. So he started visualizing himself as a healthier, more vibrant person, and he acted like a healthier person. He credits much of his recovery to this process. Just to be clear, I'm not saying visualization is the cure for all illness, but I am saying there's a clear connection between your mind and your body. There's actually research behind this idea. In fact, there's some fascinating research conducted by Ellen Langer on aging and how you truly might be only as old as you act. In one of her studies, she took older men who were in their 70s and sent them to live in a monastery, and it was sort of a time capsule. Everything in the monastery was from the 1950s, a time when these men would have been vibrant young professionals. All of the pictures of the men were of their younger selves, and there weren't any mirrors. They listened to music and watched TV from that era, too. They were encouraged to reminisce. Interestingly, it didn't take long for these older men to start acting like younger versions of themselves. They picked up heavier objects, they sat up straighter, and became more independent. Their hearing and their eyesight actually improved as well. Their dexterity got better, their appetites increased, and their overall well-being improved. The initial study was small, so she never published the results, but she went on to study the idea further and found that there's a huge mind-body link. Acting old and acting sick can take a serious toll on your physical well-being. So you might consider in what ways you act like you're broken. Maybe it's physical, but maybe it's also psychological. I've worked with plenty of people who treated themselves as if they were too emotionally scarred to have a good life. It wasn't until they gave up that mentality that they were actually able to feel better. Number three, put a picture of a superhero on the wall. John said he talks to a lot of social psychologists on his radio show who suggest looking at a picture of a superhero when you need some inspiration and motivation. It's helped him when he's felt like an underdog who was fighting against something. There's actually a lot of research that shows channeling your inner superhero can work really well. You might even help your child channel their inner superhero. In my book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, I talk about a study that found you can encourage perseverance by referring to your child by a superhero name. Want your kid to keep cleaning their room? Just shout out, how's it going in there, Batman? And your child will be more likely to keep working, even when it's boring. This works for adults too. Whether you keep a picture of Wonder Woman on your smartphone or you post a picture of Captain America on your desk, superheroes can remind you that you're stronger and more capable than you think. So those are three of John's tips that I highly recommend. 
create an I did it list, visualize yourself healthy, and channel a superhero. I hope you enjoyed John's tips as much as I did. If you want more, go pick up a copy of his book, Relentless. He's an amazing storyteller. And if you know someone who could benefit from hearing this message, share it with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Thank you for hanging out with me today and listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. And as always, a big thank you to my producer, who would always be my first choice if I ever have to pick someone to be on my trivia team, Nick Valentine. Do you want to learn more strategies for building mental strength? Check out my international best-selling books and discover how to grow mentally stronger. 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do has sold more than a million copies and been translated into more than 40 languages. My other books include 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do, and 13 Things Strong Kids Do. And stay tuned. Book number five is coming to a bookstore near you in 2023. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.